Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. On May 23rd, I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons, and now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into another edition of Inside Carolina's Next Level. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes. And we've got two special guests. If you're listening to this on the YouTube version... I know you recognize one of them. Melvin Scott, former national champion for North Carolina basketball. And the other is Mr. Will Blythe. Will has written a book several years ago, um, but it is still very relevant. Melvin, let me ask you out of the gate, since I haven't talked to you before about it. Uh, you obviously played in it, were a big part of it. Um, last year was probably the biggest game ever in it. Um, from a former player standpoint, how, is, how has this Carolina-Duke rivalry changed for you, being a guy that was in the, in the arena – versus now being the guy that's watching the game like the rest of us? Um, I think uh, one thing that is the same, I'll never go over there to watch a game. So that will always be from um, the comfort of my home. I'll never go over to Duke and watch it. Um, I am taking my oldest boys to the game on Saturday, so we'll be in there to watch that. Um, I think that uh, right before our eyes, I mean, I'm 41 years old now. I never thought, never thought I'd see the day. Uh, well, you know it's coming, but you don't expect it so soon or whatever, where there's no Coach K. Uh, there's no Dean Smith. There's no Coach Guthridge. There's no Coach Roy Williams in this rivalry. So I think uh, it's happening before our eyes. We're going to see uh, new villains, uh, <laughs> new good guys, bad guys. You know, everyone used to hate Christian Leitner, J.J. Reddick's, um, or whatever have you. But uh, we're going to see new villains and new new stars that emerge from this rivalry and, uh, and uh, you know, the coach over there and, and coach Hubert, just, uh, just new people at the helm. So it's, it's interesting to see. And just to piggyback on last year, uh, winning those two games, especially the first one at, at Cameron and kind of putting the nail in the coffin for that. Um, that was awesome. They didn't have to win another game last year. I would have been fine with that. And then going to, uh, down in New Orleans and watching that Final Four matchup. Winning that was amazing. So those last two wins against Coach K, uh, I know I can speak for myself as a former player and the guy that was in that rivalry, uh, that was enough for me. So, Melvin, that's a great segue because I was going to bring up uh, Will's book, which it really needs no introduction if you're a North Carolina fan. Uh, but this is – I feel like I'm getting old, Will, just kind of thinking back the first time I read it. But – uh, it came out Me in too. 2006, correct? Yes. 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 Uh, but to hate like this is to be happy forever. A thoroughly obsessive, 
intermittently uplifting and occasionally unbiased account of the Duke North Carolina rivalry. Uh, it is a cult cat classic for, for North Carolina fans for sure. Uh, and Will Melvin brings up a good point there because when I watched the first game between Carolina and Duke earlier this year, I was a little surprised about how big of fanfare there was because as Melvin said, uh, I had the, the luxury of being courtside for the game at Cameron last year, Coach K's retirement tour that North Carolina upended. And I was also fortunate enough to be in New Orleans for the Final Four victory. After that Final Four game, I think I, I was not alone, but I think a lot of North Carolina fans assumed the rivalry was dead. And so for people to make a big deal about it again a couple weeks ago, I was a little bit taken off guard. Uh, is the rivalry dead just because North Carolina did what it was able to do against Coach K in his last two games? Um, my answer to that is no, that the rivalry is eternal. It's like God versus Satan, as I was saying. And um, I think that it seemed for a moment when John Shard came in, and of course Hubert's there, that there was going to be a little more equanimity, a little more ease back and forth. But the truth of the matter is, I think there's such a cultural and economic divide between Duke and Carolina that's embodied actually in the uh, basketball teams as well. And I don't think that's going away. And, um, you know, it's something I remember my father would always tell this joke about Duke and UNC. And uh, he would say, you know, how can you tell the difference between a Carolina man and a Duke man? And he would say... A Duke, man, a Duke man walks down the street like he owns the entire world. A Carolina man walks down the street like he doesn't give a damn. And I think that that sensibility is still there in the, uh, in the basketball world. And the more I think about it, I think that, and this is something I read about uh, from you, Greg, in regard to football and the coaching at UNC and so on. But I think with basketball at UNC the and Duke, the success has been so great that if a team begins to go downhill in some respect, I think the coach will probably be let go. It's a little different, it seems, with football. but And therefore, I think there's always going to be a really powerful rivalry between the two teams. And, uh, and it's exciting, what can I say? And Melvin has been – Melvin was a great portion of that. And, uh, you know, he got to experience it in person, which was fun to see too. For sure. From a fan perspective, Will – uh, you, you wrote your book about kind of the time period when, when Melvin, of course, was was there. Uh, Chris Lang, uh, I grew up in Gastonia. I played with with Chris at the YMCA quite a bit growing up. Uh, but that was during a a time of transition, and I think there's yes. a lot of concern for North Carolina fans when you go from Dean and you go to Bill Guthridge, and then with what happened with Matt Darty, you're kind of thinking, uh oh, is is what we've known for a long time gone forever. And of yeah. course that wasn't the case with Roy Williams. So the impact that Hubert Davis has had, especially with the, the national championship game last year, was that enough to kind of ease your concerns in that regard in terms of you think the program's in, the, in a good position now kind of moving forward, even though there may be some ups and downs? Um. Well, that's a good question. I think that uh, Hubert, to me, already looks like a great recruiter. When I, you know, I've, I've watched Ian Jackson play, and uh, I just think that there's a lot of, you know, he's good at that. And I think that um, 
this is actually something I'm curious uh, to ask Melvin about too, is I, you know, last year we became for a while, a pretty good three point shooting team compared to past seasons. And this year, uh, you know, something has happened in that respect. And I'm curious as to what Melvin thinks that might be uh, because Melvin was a very good three point shooter too. But at any rate, I think under Hubert, we've got great potential. And again, um, I think, uh, you know, 2024 is going to be a good indication of that. So, Melvin, I want to bring you in on that issue or that, that question as well as a couple others here because I think they're all relevant, especially to this North Carolina team in the last couple of years. But let's talk about the three-point shooting. Um, obviously, you're you great at it, um, a great teacher of it now. You, you've in the coaching arena. I'm at North Carolina Central, but what goes through a shooter's mind when they know they're a good shooter, they've been a good shooter in the past, and they can't throw it in the ocean? Obviously, Carolina had some success the other night, mm -hmm. but this season on the whole, and, and quite frankly, for a couple of years, they have struggled more often than not. So just give us the mind of a shooter um, and how that works. Well, I think it's rhythm, man. Rhythm is everything. And that can be a result of the type of the quality shots you're getting or taking and, uh, you know, getting guys good shots. So I think uh, as we've seen, uh, it's just been a pressing issue about making shots. And I, I want to step up. I want to make the big shot. And maybe that's an extra swing to get a guy in rhythm or inside, outside, as traditionally UNC has been. Um, and uh, I was talking to a couple of guys last night. I was over there shooting with Dontre Styles and, uh, he was just like, man, when we're making shots, nobody can beat us. I'm like, absolutely. And it looked like you guys were in rhythm. So when you got those rhythm shots and what I teach now is uh, the quality of shots. Like, you know, if you're inside out, you know, if you extra swing and then your percentages go up. I mean, we will watch uh, this season now. We just we're just pressing for to make shots. And I think it's it's rhythm. It's all rhythm. Uh, when you're getting the quality of shots, they'll go in. Especially with our team. We got guys that can knock in shots. What's the hardest part for a guy to understand at Carolina when you're talking about a good shot versus a great shot? Because we've seen um, a lot of times where that one more pass may be a great shot, but maybe Caleb Love or RJ, they had a good shot. How difficult is that as a coach to get players to understand that, yes, that's a pretty good shot, but that guy in the corner had a great one? Yeah. I just think, you know, everybody wants to be the hero and the man. And I think we got great guys on our team. And, uh, you know, all those guys coming back, they feel like they have to take it on their own shoulders. I got to be the man. They're expecting me to be like I was last year when maybe you're averaging three or four points less than last year because everyone's involved now. You got more scores, more shooters. Uh, so that's that's just that thing. And, and the toughest part as a shooter is getting out of your own head. If you miss a few, you have to literally put that behind you. And focus on the next one. And, you know, just being a good teammate. Like, okay, I'm going to get my guy a shot. And if you're penetrating and being aggressive to get your guy a shot or set a really good screen, nine times out of ten, the ball's going to find you and you'll be, you'll be in rhythm uh, to not get in the shot. So just less of I and me and more of we. Uh, and we'll, we'll see us make a lot of shots going into uh, the tournament, uh, ACC tournament and then NCAA play. Yeah, it it just looks like absolutely when they are in that mode, swing it one more pass, another look, yes. um, the ball goes in the basket a, a lot more. 
let me ask you another question. I think about you a lot um, when I'm watching guys come off the bench and either they struggle or they make a play that's really important. And I go back and I think of the NCAA tournament run where you had to come in and make some big foul shots. Yes. Um, just sort of talk, discuss that mindset. Hubert Davis always says, guys are going to get an opportunity. I can't tell them when, um, only that it's coming. Well, Roy Williams had a pretty set substitution pattern. I mean, guys were going to get in at certain times, especially early in the season. Talk yes. about it from a guy that, that came off the bench in some very, very high-pressure situations. You mentioned Dontrell Styles just a second ago. He hits a three last season in the tournament that probably saves the year. Um, well, we're not having any of this discussion because the run ends against Baylor, most likely, if he doesn't do that. Just sort of give me that that perspective again from a guy that maybe not be playing 35 minutes, but is just as important as the guys that do. I'm glad you asked that. I want to be very transparent. My junior year, I played 33 minutes a game. And we picked up Quentin Thomas and Mar um, Marvin Williams. So the next year, my minutes decreased significantly. And I wasn't liking it. I didn't like it at all. And so I got in my own way. I was being selfish about it. I was not being a good teammate. And then halfway through the season, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy this run because I think we're going to do something special. And uh, one game, Rashad McCants go down. We're at NC State. I knock him four threes coming off the bench. Uh, you know, Raymond gets in foul trouble that Villanova game. And I'm just in a good mind space. And one thing I talked to Don Trez last night, uh, I was in a good mind space. I was happy. I was actually joking. And some of the guys were like, hey, man, you, you know, I like having fun. My best time on the court when I'm really good, I'm having fun. And so those free throws were really easy because I was being a good teammate. I had a positive attitude. And I, I stayed ready, so I didn't have to get ready. And exact words last night, I'm like, Dontrez, people are still talking about that shot you made against Baylor. Like, that's so huge because you were ready for the moment. You got in, you just was ready. Now, and I tell them, you know, being ready isn't always making a shot. Being ready is diving on the loose ball, getting those 50-50 balls. Just coming in and giving positive energy and minutes and not hurting your team. That's one thing I try to teach um, the women at North Carolina Central. Uh, the high school I coach here with my son, like just come in and don't hurt us. Don't be a negative, like be a positive. And that might be making an extra pass or help side defense. You can affect the game in many ways um, than just scoring and shooting the basketball. And uh, so that's a great point. And I, he's just, he told me he struggled most of the year and it's hard to come off the bench and being ready and playing five minutes or 10 minutes a game. But uh, he's just going to ride it out and be very positive. And I'm like, if you if we win, you win, because we won a national championship and we had seven guys play professional basketball. Four guys went lottery and a guy named Marvin Williams did not start a game for us. Not one. And he went number two in the draft because we kept winning. And, you know, when you're a winner, everyone eats. So um, I was just preaching to Don Trez last night about this mentality. And he's he's in he's in the good spirits. I'm like, bro, your time is going to come. You know, just, just stay the course and be a great teammate. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and then Melvin hit that shot, the free throw. If you remember against Villanova sure. back in 2005, we might not have won the national championship that year. So, I mean, he, he really came off the bench incredibly well his senior year. Yeah, for sure. And, and Melvin, I, I think I think your class's uh, uh, career arc as, as Tar Heels is probably the most fascinating, at least in my lifetime, um, in terms of, you know, at North Carolina levels, really going through a difficult start and then finishing your career as national champion. And I think that's just a, a phenomenal story. Um, North Carolina, of course, is in year number two under Hubert Davis. You, you went through the, the same type of coaching transition. Um, what, what is the challenge there for players? I know you, you talked about kind of minutes, you know, once, once Roy got in and got settled. Um, but in terms of going from one coaching style to another, in terms of how they approach and connect with the players, how challenging is that for a player at a, at a program like North Carolina to be able to adapt and kind of change maybe your approach a little bit to meet what the new coach wants? It's very difficult. And, you know, as fans, well, I'm a fan now. I don't play it at that level anymore. We're watching and we expect these guys, the All-Americans, the you're at Carolina. You got to make that shot. Yeah, it's tough. It's not easy, and you know, you know, trusting the process. Everyone, that's easier said than done. But really, if you buy into what the coach wants to do, and obviously we saw, you know, Coach Huber, he's doing a great job. Great guy. Um, if you buy into the team concept, the team, um, you'll do well. Um, so it, it's not easy. Uh, it's very difficult as a player, as a competitor. Uh, it's just you have to just trust what the coach is saying. Um, obviously, he coach played on a high level. He played in the NBA. He knows talent. He can recruit his butt off. He can coach. Um, so just trusting that and buying into whatever we're going to do, we're all going to do it together. That's good. Uh, Will, as we turn into the, the Duke Carolina specific portion of this, uh, I did want to ask this question. When you wrote, to hate like this is to be happy forever, uh, you had quite the uh, – the villain to write about in, in Coach K, right? I, I think all Carolina fans can relate to that. Uh, does John Shire have that potential? Uh, I'm afraid he might not, because remember when Coach K came in in 1980 and 81, I felt instant animosity. And I, I don't feel that yet with Shire. And so I do wonder, but still, I, I think there's such a difference between the two teams and the two universities that there's always going to be some ferocity between them. But uh, I, I'm, I've yet to see John Shire behave on the sideline the way Shashevsky did very early on. And another thing I'm really, I, you know, J.J. Reddick was a guy that I got to speak with and spend some time with when I was writing the book. And I know that 
uh, Melvin, you and JJ knew each other back in high school, if yes. I recall, right? Yeah. And and JJ was a guy who was considered the most um, hated basketball player back in his uh, his time at Duke. And yet when you actually got to know him, he was a very entertaining and enjoyable person to be around. And so that was something which a great revelation for me was, you know, that there's a particular animosity among fans that's greater than even, I think, the animosity among players. Uh, that's what it struck me because once I got to know Reddick, I really liked the guy. And he used to speak very favorably of Melvin, actually, because I guess you guys played some in the summer together. And he always was impressed by you as a three-point shooter. And you were probably impressed by him that way. But, um, yeah, with John Shire, I just have the feeling that uh, that there will come a time. Something's going to happen, right? I mean, it just always seems to. So. It's, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What a what a thing with Coach K when he got there, right? Dean Smith was already established, so Coach K had to pick a fight. You know, kind of like what Rick Barnes tried to do several years back. Yes. Um, yes. Clemson and all, and, and now with Hubert and Shire in it together, basically new together. Um, you're right. I think eventually something will happen, but right now it's 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 iffy. And, you know, Shire's not. I know. Shire's not on that side of the coin yet. He might, he might say, it seems, there, especially after. Go ahead. Yeah, it seems almost horrifically congenial, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, it's like, but I think again, I, you know, in Shire and uh, Hubert, I saw they ran into each other in the summer and apparently had a very nice conversation. I think they both now have three kids and uh, they, they just, and I, I think early on, Shashevsky uh, and Dean did not get along. Now, late in Dean's life, Shashevsky was very kind to him. Uh, he went to the beach and spoke to him and knelt down and um, and told him he loved him. But that's not how they were for a good portion of their careers. And I think that eventually Shashevsky came to see what the kind of coach that Dean had been, but both as a basketball coach but also as a citizen. And I think he came to respect that. But yeah, I mean, Shashevsky, as soon as he came into Duke, it just, um, it really uh, upgraded the ferocity between the two teams, in my view. Yeah, and I, I told this story after that Final Four game last year. And I don't know that North Carolina fans particularly liked it. <laughs> uh, but I was I was chatting with the players outside the locker room and, and me and Armando Vecata just kind of, it was just me and him chatting in the hallway. And I felt somebody come up behind me, and it was Coach K. And he put his hand on Armando's shoulder and just looked at him and said, good game. I voted for you for ACC Player of the Year and walked off. Um, and considering that was, that was after his final game as, as a head coach, I thought that was a very classic, classy comment for him to make. Uh, and it, it is. It softens the edges a little bit, right? Like everybody wanted to be able yes. to kind of run him out of town, and he does something like that. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he had some players that I'll never forget an interaction with Steve Wojciechowski um, that I had way back in the day, but I'm not going there. I can't do that on this show. Maybe <laughs> over, over drinks one day off the air. But, uh, <laughs> but Melvin, yeah. let me ask you this as far as the Duke Carolina rivalry. Obviously, the big game, um, Marvin shot. Dean Dome's loud as it's ever been and all, but what were your best memories of the Carolina Duke rivalry being in it 
And what was the worst memories you have? Well, the, uh, the worst is losing to them, obviously. Um, but just I was telling when I talked to the younger guys, just that day leading up to that day. And when you wake up, you can't go anywhere. It's all over the television. It's just a, such a long day. <laughs> By the time you get to the game, it's like, man, what a day. And now you got to get hyped and, and play it. It's just, you know, just that's all you think about, right? Like all day leading up to it. It's just such a great environment for basketball. Uh, North Carolina is such a great place for this rivalry and basketball in general. Uh, depending on where you're walking, uh, what you got on right there? You got some dirt on your shirt. And they're talking about the Duke sign or whatever. Um, this game, uh, if you don't know about it, how, the importance of it, uh, they'll school you. You'll get a lesson immediately when, you, when you're in North Carolina. Uh, getting ready for this game. And uh, wherever you, you work at, the schools, the homes are divided, some Duke, some Carolina. So it, it's everything here. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, personally, uh, just that last game, senior night, and uh, Marvin getting that off as a rebound and, and putting it back in. Again, they got so loud in the building. And uh, winning that and hugging Jackie Emanuel, Emanuel, Jackie Manuel and Joel Williams senior night and we go out like that. Uh it was just so much fun. I, I'll never forget that. I see the posters, the pictures. Uh they run a highlight all day. They're gonna run it all day Saturday, those highlights. So it's just so much fun. And to be a part of that and now I can share with my kids and uh the young people I coach. It's like, man, I get questions all day. All Saturday I'll be answering questions about, you know, those, those moments. And uh so it's a lot of fun. Can I ask you a question right now about those moments? For sure, go for it. What was what was your impression back then of Mike Krzyzewski? So, so uh, Coach K and Coach Wojciechowski, they recruited me first, actually. And uh, once Carolina came into the picture, I had to tell them. That was an uncomfortable conversation. I had to uh, phone call Coach K to tell him I was considering UNT. And uh, so I was so nervous. I was sweating. And my mom said, you have to do it. And so calling him and letting him know I was going to go to UNC, that was tough. Um, first game at, at Cameron, um, I heard a lot of stories about him. But the ref, I guess the ref missed the call in his eyes. And uh, I never heard so many curse words, like the way he put them together. Right? <laughs> so it's like the cultural difference, like how black people curse and white folk curse. He put so many curse words together. I was just, I didn't even get back on defense. I'm like, he can talk to you like that. And the ref was like, okay, coach, like running away from him. I uh yeah, I've been trying to, to mimic that, but he put so many curse words together. And I was in awe that a coach could talk to a, an official like that. <laughs> but and so many stories about Coach K. He's so classy. And uh I think over the years, my experience, you know, learning, he learned a lot from Coach, Coach Smith and vice versa. And I think he actually took a page out of Coach Smith's book, how he brings all uh, alumni back. They're on the bench. And then he sent them off to get coaching job and the family, the brotherhood. So if you pay close attention, that's exactly what Coach Smith used to do uh, from my experience and the stories I heard about, about Dean Smith. That's great stuff there. We're talking with Melvin Scott and Will Blythe uh, to hate like this. Uh, Will, do you think that the rivalry has suffered – or at least the 
the likability or unlikability factor has suffered with the one and done NBA influence. Because quite frankly, once upon a time, I could name, and I'm sure everybody can say this, they could name every player on every team in the ACC growing up. You do the whole roster. And now the way the season starts, I mean, it took me a couple months to figure out who play, even played for Duke this year. Does yeah. that have an effect these days? Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. I think it does have an effect because primarily, though, for Duke, because most, so many of their players now are one and done that uh, you know they don't, I think, end up having the same kind of um, you know just it's 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 just kind of like a brief visit, and I I think they they have to learn that uh, they're supposed to hate UNC and all that, but I don't think it really happens to the same degree as when you stay three or four years, and I think that it, it does make a difference actually. Yes, interesting. And Melvin, on that same coin, um, you know, Baycott, I think it was before the last Duke game, was talking about Jeremy Roach, and he was like, hate him, don't like him. I mean, they're friends. They've been friends. How much did you guys interact? I know when I was at school, I graduated in 93, National Championship year in 93. There were a lot of interactions between Duke and Carolina players, just being in Chapel Hills right down the road. Um, how much – did it change when you were there? Was it any different than that? Because at some point it's changed. They don't they don't interact as much as they used to. Maybe it's the fact that they're not around for more than six or eight months. But how was it when you were at Carolina, you know, through that 05 season? Yeah, maybe it's social media. We actually had to come outside and do things and uh, do them all. And now you can shop online and do whatever you want. But, no, I mean, those interactions, I mean, you'll see them at the barbershop 40 below. It was a barbershop uh, most of us went to. Uh, you see them at the malls, six miles apart, six, seven miles. So you'll see those guys, and it's just a head nod. Not, that's it. Uh, not a lot of interaction when I was playing. Um, we knew some of these guys from, obviously, high school uh, tournaments and uh, All-American camps and things like that. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, just the whole social media thing and all that changes things. But uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't buddy buddy with those guys. Uh, we might see him and say hello, and that's it. Will, before we let you guys get out of here, um, we mentioned your your book to hate like this is to be happy forever. Um, I would think everybody who's read that understands that at least once upon a time you were an icy uh, message board scroller. I don't know if you actually posted on the boards. But in the, the beginning of your book, I, I want to quote a line. Hopefully I don't get into uh, copyright issues by, by saying this. This is one of my, my favorite lines about the Inside Carolina message board. But Will, to set the stage, Will's in his apartment in New York, doesn't have cable. He's frantically on his computer trying to keep up with the score <laughs> of the Carolina Duke game. And this is, this is a couple sentences. Again and again, I hit the refresh button and am transported anew to a message board resounding with rending cries and moans from fellow Carolina obsessives, posting their dismay, miss by brutal miss. It's like tuning in to the distracted mutterings of old men alone on park benches all over America. There are so many of us. That is 
uh, that is gold. That that is a Pulitzer worthy right there for, for anybody <laughs> that has been on the Inside Carolina message boards. So I got to ask you. Yes. Are you still a, a message board patron? I am a message board fanatic. I am a message board addict. I am on it every single day. Uh, yes, I do post, uh, and I I'm completely. It's a it's a reading passion. And I just think it's also, I have to say, I really think it's amazingly good journalism. You know, people would think that this is a partisan site and it is in the sense of the gathering and who in the team that we love, but the journalism is really terrific. And I think that's also something to, to recommend. And I, I have to say, there's so many threads I'm completely, uh, I find beloved. There's, there's a great thread that the, the guy Oatmeal started that you guys probably know as well. And, um, and I just, I admire him both as a basketball analyst, but he's practically like a preacher as well. And there's times when I feel like there's a church service here. So that it's just, anyway, I, it's, it's, I'm here every day. I, I don't think I'm going to miss it for the rest of my life. Melvin, how much did players pay attention when you were at Carolina? Did we pay attention to Social media, inside Carolina message boards, the, the noise, as Hubert Davis calls it. Yeah, not a lot. We try to block it out. Um, but senior year, once uh, once those uh, those message boards, we were we were on it. It was like, oh man. So now they can't they can't. It's everywhere. They can't put it down. Uh, you, you put your phone down. Your watch, your Apple Watch is going off with messages and and all that stuff. So it's everywhere, man. And uh, people eat it up for sure. Let me ask before we get out of here, Melvin, tell everybody what you're up to. I know you're at Central Player Development for the women's team, but just sort of shed some light on what you've been up to since your time at Carolina and going forward. Yes, I played in Europe for three years before suffering a career-ending injury. And then I got into coaching as assistant coach at high school and teaching PE. Then I got into coaching at uh, director of operations at Tennessee Tech. And then I took a job with George Lynch down in Clark Atlanta. I was his top assistant for a couple of years there. We did well. Uh, then COVID hit, came back here to North Carolina. And I took a job at the high school where my son was a middle schooler. Now he's high school, so it's fun coaching him. And uh, I was offered a job for the women's program at North Carolina Central. Uh, but I told her I wanted to coach my son his first year of high school. So it's been fun. And uh, they were able to still bring me on as a, a player development. And so that's a lot of fun, just teaching shooting. Uh, I always knew I could shoot the ball. I didn't know how well I could teach it. And now at this stage of my life, uh, I think I'm doing well and I can understand how to teach different people uh, that understand differently uh, concepts of shooting, muscle memory, and things like that. I'm having a blast with it. Uh, I have my own LLC called Espresso Shots. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Um, so I'm staying busy every day. I, I do some sort of skill development and I'm just a coach teaching uh, skills of shooting, and it's a lot of fun. Your son's a good shooter too, right, Melvin? Uh, yeah, I don't tell him that, though. But uh, <laughs> he, he's actually, uh, if he keeps at it, uh, he'll be way better than I was. He can shoot better than I, I could when I was in ninth grade, and uh, he had some intangibles that I did, just didn't have. Uh, and I coached this year, and uh, everybody was getting on me because I didn't start him. But I just wanted him to earn his keep and uh, keep working hard. He's a great kid, straight A's. But he can shoot the basketball. Hopefully, uh, if he keep doing well, you guys will, uh, read about him and, and see his talent. 
Nice stuff there. Will, what's next? I know the audio portion of your book or the audio version of your book came out in the last few months, but what's next for Will Blythe circa Inside Carolina message board poster? <laughs> um, I wrote a piece uh, for Garden and Gun about Duke and Carolina that came out uh, last March. Um, and um, I've been asked by this uh, online venue in North Carolina called The Assembly to write some again about the what's going to happen with the rivalry. So that's a possibility. And then I'm doing some other work for uh, Esquire recently, um, not to do with basketball, but um, but those are the pieces that uh, have related to the Duke Carolina rivalry. Well, to hate like this is a, is a masterpiece in the Carolina Duke rivalry. Um, if you haven't read it, if you're watching this or listening to this and you haven't read it, pick it up. It's all over everywhere. Check out the audio version. Melvin Scott, Will Blythe, Gordon, Tommy Ashley. This has been Inside Carolina's Next Level, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Thank you, guys. It's been a wonderful discussion. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. It, was, you. it was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. A lot of fun. Thanks, guys. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.